Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to Q3 2020 Plural Size Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants line are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. And if you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded, and if you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Mr. Mark McReynolds, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, Maria. <clears throat> Good afternoon, and welcome to Pluralsight's third quarter 2020 earnings call. Joining me remotely are Aaron Sconard, co-founder and CEO, and James Budge, CFO. Our remarks today may include forward-looking statements, including those about guidance and future results of operations. Our actual results may be materially different based on a variety of factors, including our ability to execute our business during the COVID-19 pandemic, the impact of the crisis on our customers and partners, and government action taken in response to COVID-19, among other factors. <clears throat> forward-looking statements involve risks and uncertainties and assumptions that are described in our SEC filings. These forward-looking statements are based on our beliefs and assumptions today, and we assume no obligation to update any forward-looking statements. During this call, we will present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. Except for revenue, balance sheet amounts, cash flow from operations and billings, all financial amounts discussed are non-GAAP. Unless otherwise stated, growth comparisons are measured against the same period of the prior year. A reconciliation of these measures is included in today's earnings release, which you can find on our Investor Relations website. With that, I'll turn the call over to Aaron. Thanks, Mark. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. We're proud of the progress we made in the quarter while still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. We handily beat our revenue, earnings, and cash expectations in Q3. And given the strength we see in our pipeline and forecast for Q4, we have confidence in the raised annual revenue and earnings expectations we included in today's earnings release. Q3 billings came in lighter than we had expected due to two factors. First, the continued impact from COVID. And second, shifting PS Live from August to October this year. The latter caused a corresponding timing shift in the benefits from PS Live from Q3 to Q4. Let me share some quick stats on PS Live. We had over 29,000 participants in our virtual PS Live experience this year, compared to about 3,000 at last year's event. Additionally, we had over 2.4 million live stream views through social media, and the pipeline represented by the participants this year exceeded 250 million compared to 95 million last year. All of these are positive signs. However, given that this is our first virtual PS Live, we don't know yet how the higher participation and pipeline will translate into billing. But we are encouraged by the significant numbers and enthusiasm from customers attending this year's event. We'll learn more in the coming months and quarters. At PS Live, we announced a big step forward in providing additional customer value with the launch of our Cloud Labs product. Cloud Labs allows our users to practice and apply cloud skills in real-world pre-configured cloud environments. We provide step-by-step -step instructions for solving common challenges and tasks in the cloud. 
which allows our learners to transform their new knowledge into practical skills. And our partnerships with the three largest cloud providers empowers our customers and their teams to prepare for the most in-demand cloud certifications with hundreds of supporting hands-on learning experiences. We've also built tooling that makes it simple and fast for our author community to create this type of hands-on learning content, which allows us to quickly scale with highly relevant and current content in the months and years ahead. Ultimately, companies need more learning modalities and faster ways to upskill, reskill, and onboard teams responsible for executing these complex digital transformations. And Cloud Labs provides just that. Cloud Labs will be priced and packaged as a separate product SKU, enabling us to capture even more value from our offerings. Also at PS Live, we announced priorities for skills and the delivery module for Flow. Priorities allows technology leaders to align their skill development programs with their top business priorities, such as moving from one cloud vendor to another. It builds on our Pluralsight IQ foundation and makes it possible for executives to track skill progression metrics against a specified time frame. The delivery module measures data from JIRA to visualize the human interactions that occur during the software development process. This capability helps engineering teams understand how they're progressing against their goals and identify opportunities to optimize collaboration and workload. The need for this knowledge will only increase in importance for our customers as they continue to adapt to the new reality of remote working. And finally, as I shared at PS Live a few weeks ago, we're very excited about our recent acquisition of Develop Intelligence. Develop Intelligence, or DI, is a leader in designing and executing live upskilling, reskilling, and onboarding programs for enterprise customers. They also provide strategic skills consulting for enterprise tech teams. DI is known for delivering high-quality experiences to Fortune 500 customers. For companies undergoing significant transformations or that have recurring skill development needs, such as onboarding new engineers or ongoing reskilling programs, DI provides the quickest and most effective way to upskill teams around those initiatives. DI has a network of exceptional instructors who are also practitioners just like the Pluralsight author community. And many of our customers already work with them to pair tailored virtual ILT programs with Pluralsight skills. Typical ILT providers operate on a transactional basis that can create unpredictable revenue streams. DI, on the other hand, has established relationships with large enterprise tech teams. Their biggest customers typically sign on for annual deals where they handle all onboarding, reskilling, and upskilling programs. And we've already started negotiations with some exciting enterprises on a combination of DI services with skills and flow. COVID is forcing companies to permanently move from traditional classroom training to virtual or digital experiences. With this acquisition, we now offer a more comprehensive set of skill development solutions our customers need 
to navigate this new future. These new product and delivery capabilities, combined with our existing platform capabilities, enable all of our customers, and especially our largest customers and their teams, to accelerate skills transformation. Our customers no longer have to work with multiple vendors to build tech skills because we're the all-in-one technology workforce development company. And with that, I'll turn the call over to James. Thanks, Aaron, and hello to everyone tuning in. In the face of another full quarter of COVID impact, I'm pleased that we were able to sequentially improve on nearly all the results we delivered last quarter. B2B billings grew to 88.6 million, and total billings grew to 100 million, our first quarter other than Q4 to have hit nine figures in billings, and represents an $11 million billings increase in Q3 over Q2. Our pipeline is strong coming out of a successful PS Live, and we are confident that we will achieve our annual goals with another strong Q4. Historically, by far, our best performing quarter of the year. <clears throat> As a result, we expect to accelerate our total Q4 2020 billings to approximately 12 to 13% year-over-year growth. We continue to expand deeper into our largest customers, ending Q3 with 86% more customers with annual billings greater than $1 million. Q3 revenue grew by 20% to $99.5 million, about $4 million over the high end of the range we previously provided. As expected, our rolling four-quarter average gross and net retention decreased. We are replacing pre-COVID quarters in the four-quarter average with COVID-impacted quarters. The four-quarter rolling average at the end of Q3 for gross retention was 83% and net revenue retention was 113%, with retention figures from our enterprise business being quite a bit higher than the average. We expect our four-quarter rolling renewal rates to begin to expand again in 2021 as we move beyond COVID and see spending patterns begin to return to normal. Our go-to-market investments in Q3 continued to be overweighted toward our enterprise and high-end commercial customers which resulted in our highest average deal size to date, up about 20% over last year. The trade-off in Q3 was a higher percentage of churn in our smaller accounts, which offset the new high-end commercial and enterprise logos we added in the quarter. Our Q3 gross margin increased to 81%, up from 80%, and net loss per share in Q3 was break-even a significant improvement over last year and a huge milestone for us, our first quarter of break-even P&L profitability since we began developing our enterprise go-to-market motion in 2016. Our gross margin and EPS continue to overperform and give us confidence that we will trend towards sustainable earnings and cash flow profitability in 2021. Our collections and the timing of those collections are coming in ahead of our expectations and we remain well capitalized with $537 million in cash and investments on our balance sheet. Cash used in operations was only $2.4 million, and free cash flow was negative $14.9 million, inclusive of about $8 million for our new building in Q3. Both operating and free cash flow measures were well ahead of what we expected and demonstrate our accelerating path to repeatable cash profitability. We now expect to remain operating cash flow positive for the full year, 2020, 
and expect that trend to continue into 2021. Turning now to guidance. For the full year 2020 revenue, we are increasing the midpoint of our range by $6 million. And with one quarter left in the year, tightening the range to 387 to 390 million, an increase of 23% at the midpoint of the range. This means that for Q4 2020, we expect revenue to be in the range of 101 to 102 million. <clears throat> On the bottom line for the full year 2020, given the year-to-date results through Q3 and what we see for Q4, we are increasing the midpoint of the range by 10 cents and tightening the full-year non-GAAP net loss per share to be in the range of 12 to 14 cents. The full-year 2020 EPS estimate assumes a weighted average shares outstanding number of approximately 143.5 million. This means that for Q4, we expect net loss per share to be in the range of 1 to 3 cents assuming weighted average shares outstanding of approximately $144 million. The slight increase in expense in Q4 over Q3 is mainly related to PS Live and pulling forward some of our 2021 sales hires into Q4. As we look to 2021 and begin to move beyond these challenging COVID times, we expect the top-line billings growth rate to increase into the high teens gradually throughout the year. We expect revenue growth rates around the mid-teens, consistent with 2020 and early 2021 billings growth being recognized into 2021 revenues. And we expect our improving earnings and cash flow trends to continue into and throughout 2021. To summarize, our current visibility and strong pipeline coming out of PS Live give us confidence that we'll be able to meet our expectations for the remainder of 2020 and be in a strong position to improve our top and bottom line momentum through 2021. And with that, I'd like to turn the call back over to Aaron. Aaron? Thanks, James. To close, I'm pleased with what we were able to accomplish in Q3, and I'm excited for the quarter and the year ahead of us. Our market continues to grow. We've strengthened our platform and offerings for our customers, and we're confident that we'll be able to close out the year with strong momentum to carry us through 2021. We built Pluralsight to help our customers create empowered technology teams that drive improved performance. There has never been a time when our products have been more relevant than now. Pluralsight exists to be a trusted partner for technologists and their leaders to build better skills, better ways of working, and better products. I'd like to thank our customers, partners, our community of expert authors, and our team members for their continued support. And with that, I'll turn the call back over to the operator for a Q&A. And at this time, if you would like to ask any question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. And to withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. We will pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from the line of Sterling Audi from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. So just wondering, with the billings result in the quarter, 
but you're still raising guidance. You talked about your confidence in being able to deliver the increased forecast for the fourth quarter. Maybe can you give us a little bit more color as to the experience in the first month of the quarter or what you've seen after Plural uh, Site Live and maybe the pipeline and conversion, something that, that feeds into the confidence that you can deliver. Obviously, this quarter you just did 20% revenue growth off of 10% billings growth last quarter, so it's doable. But just help us kind of, you know, bridge the gap. Yeah, thanks, Sterling. James here. A um, couple of things I'd highlight. Uh, PS Live was, was big. I mean, you heard the numbers from Aaron and the number of participants in the pipeline associated with uh, those participants. Um, was a huge number. Now, of course, it's a virtual event. We don't know how that's really going to translate into billings, but it's it's certainly going to help in many ways to our billings expectations for the fourth quarter. It's the best closing event we have uh, for four years running now that we've been running PS Live, and that will probably be the same result here in the fourth quarter. So PS Live is one that I would highlight um, and had some impact, quite frankly, a little more impact on the third quarter relative to the fourth quarter than we previously expected, to be honest. Obviously, we knew we always knew we were going to have the PS Live event in October, but what we didn't expect that some of those deals that would have had strong closing event from PS Live in August, that those would slip into the fourth quarter. So still highly confident that we'll get those done coming off of the strong closing event that we now had from PS Live in the fourth quarter. The second item I'd, I'd highlight here is you know, we, we, we talked, we've talked about free April in the past. That's certainly been a benefit to us in our B2C. Our B2C numbers would have been uh, less good if we didn't have free April. And I would say that, um, you know, last couple of quarters we kind of said, hey, we're in the early days of seeing how PS Live on the B2B side translates into pipeline and ultimately billings. And we see that starting to firm up and become strong for us here in the fourth quarter. So, those two items on the billings side, I would say, uh, give us some pretty good momentum, really good momentum going into the fourth quarter, PS Live, and strength from free April from the B2B pipeline builds throughout the year. Great. And then, Aaron, one for you. You know, with the acquisitions that, that you've made, it looks like you're kind of building a, a hybrid model almost in terms of tapping into some of that ILT, you know, opportunity. How quickly should we see some of the moves that you've made actually translate into, you know, revenue contribution? Uh, you'll see it translate pretty quickly, Sterling. Um, you know, we, the way we recognize revenue with, with that business is upon delivery of those services. Um, and we have, we have several very large enterprise accounts uh, that we're working with right now in Q4 to bring into uh, this, to, to bring in as new customers for this new offering beyond what already exists in the current customer base. Uh, so you'll see you'll see billings and revenue actually you know, billings will will essentially be revenue uh, upon delivery of those services. So the dynamics of that of that. Uh, of that billing stream is different than what you see in our skills business. And we have a lot of exciting opportunities already in the queue. And, uh, you know, the deal cycle, I would say, is about similar to a skills uh, deal. You know, it takes about as long to get uh, one of these annual agreements in place and, and get those programs designed and, and running. But we've got, uh, we've got a lot of momentum already right out of the gate uh, with, with the acquisition. 
Great. Thank you. You bet. And, and your next question <coughs> comes from the line of Saket Kalia from Barclays. Your line is open. Okay, great. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my questions here. Um, Aaron, maybe, maybe for you, uh, can you just talk a little bit about the competitive landscape? Um, you know, it, it, it's a fun question to ask every quarter to sort of see if, if anything's changed. But, you know, just I was wondering if you just maybe connect that to, to whether you think the competitive landscape maybe played a bigger role in the third quarter B2B performance or if this was really just sort of a, the, the, the timing issue with kind of that PS Live uh, pipeline. No, uh, thanks for the question, Sackett. I think – uh, competition definitely played a bigger role in the third quarter than it has in prior quarters, but only in the small business segment. Um, that's where we saw the most, uh, the most logo churn, um, especially because of the COVID, uh, impact on those segments. In some cases, those, those customers, uh, you know, just stopped using any vendor or they switched to a lower cost vendor. Um, and uh, and so we continue to see that pressure in the in the SMB segment, um, and our focus remains squarely focused on the high end of our segments, the enterprise and Com3 segments specifically. Um, and overall, our win rates remain very high against competitors uh, in our in our strategic segments, and that's where we're laser focused and putting most of our resources today. Um, our strategy remains the same. We're focused on a vertical, highly differentiated, value-oriented solution uh, where we're helping the largest companies in the world perform complex skill transformations over many, many years. And that's where we're going to continue to be moving forward. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. James, maybe a, a follow-up for you. Maybe just uh, off of off of Sterling Ladder question there. You know, the – the the shift in pipeline and and by the way the year over year kind of change in pipeline is, is impressive and and I understand the shift from August to to October um, you know I expect you plan for that shift so I'm just wondering here in Q3 was there anything else that that perhaps impacted the B2B billings number uh, excluding sort of that shift from uh, from from one quarter to the next uh, not a lot I mean definitely a little bit in the SMB side as Aaron just describes probably a little bit more there than we might have expected um, but I think we just uh, we we under anticipated the amount of deals uh, from those closing events from PS live that would shift from q3 to q4 so fortunately we we those deals are in our pipeline the pipelines as strong as it's been in 18 months uh, as far as the weighted pipe relative to our buildings expectations, and we feel really good about where we are um, heading into the fourth quarter for the remainder of the year. Very helpful. Thanks, guys. Yep. And your next question comes from the line of Hannah Rudolph from DA, DA Davidson. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thank you for taking my questions today. Um, just wanted to start off. Could you just talk about how much conservatism you're really baking into guidance for 4Q and what you're kind of modeling in terms of churn and willingness to spend on the company side there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to give you something specific on conservatism because that would give away all of our secrets here. But um, <laughs> I would I would say this, for, the, for every quarter that we have been a public company since May of 2018, we have over-delivered on revenue. 
And in the third quarter, we over-delivered to the tune of $4 million higher than the high end of the range that we gave. Not suggesting in any way we're going to replicate that here in the fourth quarter, but I think we have a very consistent pattern um, in our EPS and in our revenue estimates uh, of over-delivering what we say we're going to deliver, and I, I don't think that will change in the fourth quarter. Great. And then could you talk about um, how the cloud partnerships turned it in the quarter and the SI partnerships? You bet. Um, the cloud partnerships continue to evolve very nicely. Our new cloud lab offering uh, plays right into that. Uh, so our, our conversations with Microsoft, Google, and Amazon around cloud enablement specifically um, is, further, is gaining further strength because of the, the additional strength we now have with our hands-on learning experiences for each of their cloud platforms. Um, so we're excited about what that means for uh, how those partnerships continue to evolve over time. Um, and with the SIs, you know, we're seeing some, some really exciting things unfold right now. You know, we've, we've mentioned Accenture in the past, PwC and, and others. Um, and, you know, we have several very large Fortune 500 accounts where we're working on large-scale cloud transformations, agile transformations, uh, you know, secure microservices transformations, and we, we partner with those SIs on those engagements, uh, you know, in, in a very uh, uh, natural way uh, because they're focused on the talent and human capabilities. We're focused on the tech skills component of it, which is really core to a digital transformation in the end. And um, during PS Live, we actually uh, highlighted one of the initiatives that we've been working on with Accenture. Uh, there's this thing that, that we've they've branded internally Accenture TQ, which stands for Technology Quotient. Uh, it's built on Pluralsight's IQ Foundation, and it gives Accenture the ability to uh, measure the technology proficiency across all Accenture team members, all 500,000 of them. And this is an initiative that started at the top with the CEO. We work really closely with their CTO. And, um, and now that we're seeing the success of, of this working within the company, we're now exploring talks. Uh, in, around how we can potentially take this out to some of our shared customers. So we're really, we're really excited about those possibilities. I think that's just one of many examples of what's possible with the SIs over time. So as we look at the SI, uh, you know, as a potential channel, uh, you know, it's going to be those types of initiatives around very specific use cases for the enterprise that will, will likely bear fruit long term. Great. That's really helpful. Thank you. You bet. And your next question comes from the line of Brian Peterson from Raymond James. Your line is open. Uh, hi, gentlemen. Thanks for taking the question. So, Aaron, I, I wanted to start with one for you. Um, kind of an industry question, but, but obviously we've seen a lot change in, in terms of the pandemic. And, and if we think about the budget spent on in-classroom training, I think it's fair to say that enterprises across the board are probably not able to do that today. So thinking about the benefit of where their budget dollars have been spent and how that will migrate to, to you know, different forms of technology, I'm curious, when do you think that happens, right? We're all kind of reacting to the new normal today. But are those conversations happening in earnest right now, or does that happen next year? I'm just curious when we'll start to see that those budget dollars really shift from a macro perspective. Yeah, great question. Uh, those conversations are happening right now with, with some companies. 
but not more broadly like I like I'm hearing you refer to as a sort of an industry trend. There's still a, a clear COVID frost in place, um, but COVID is definitely uh, accelerating the transition away from that traditional ILT model towards the virtual ILT and digital solutions like like what we offer with Pluralsight Skills. And now with DI, we have the virtual ILT offering. So, so we do see some strength around it now because some of those companies have to start shifting those dollars and they have to train, you know, the new engineers that they're hiring, especially in the large the large tech companies, the large enterprises that hire lots of engineers all the time. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a little bit longer before we see it really kick in and it really becomes a strong tailwind for the business. And I would expect that that happens, you know, sometime in Q1 or towards the end of Q1, um, you know, based on what we're seeing in the macro environment. Um, we believe we're really strongly positioned to help those companies make that transition. And back to the to the, uh, the acquisition announcement, that's exactly why we did that, because we believe we can help companies do that transformation like and accelerate that transition away from traditional classroom approaches to these new hybrid approaches. And then over the years ahead, we can help them even more fully move into pure digital solutions over time. Right, and, and uh, it's a good segue to my next question, but for customers that may have overlapped uh, for kind of a virtual and classroom learning in the legacy skills platform, um, how does their value proposition change, right? You think about the idea of, of maybe facilitating that back in the plas- classroom and, and being able to reinforce what they're learning there. Uh, I'm just curious how you think that changes the value proposition if you can sell both platforms to, to the existing customers. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, a couple things, you bet. Um, one, they now get to work with a single vendor. They haven't been able to do that ever before. Single vendor, strategic relationship, so that's value right there. We can bring the overall cost down for them over time. That's value number two. And three, we can help them strategically design those programs to take advantage of the best of both worlds, the best things they're looking for from the live virtual instruction combined with uh, what we offer in our, in our digital skills solution. So that custom enterprise-centric approach is, is really, you know, the value proposition in, in the end and, and, and being able to be that all-in-one solution for the customer. And this further differentiates us from the competition. Um, you know, this is a, a, an approach very unique to us and our capabilities and, and drives us even further into that Fortune 500 Global 2000 space. Good to hear. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Jason Salino from KeyBank Capital. Your line is open. Hi, uh, this is actually Devin on for Jason tonight. Um, but yeah, thanks for taking our questions. Uh, just, just one for me, um, just on usage. Could you, could you just touch on kind of the customer usage of the platform in the past quarter, um, and how that kind of compared to first half or maybe in second quarter? Any notable trends you're seeing in the U.S. and I guess outside the U.S. as well? Yeah, great question. I, so, I think as you probably noticed from last quarter's, once uh, pre-April picked up, there was a lot more people using it at home. Our usage metrics, as we've talked about in past quarters expanded quite dramatically, and that continued into the third quarter. We actually had more minutes and hours viewed 
with our B2B customers in the third quarter than any quarter in the history of our business. Uh, and to just give you a number around that, 139 million minutes uh, were viewed in the third quarter, and that's up from around 125 million in the second quarter, which was massively higher than any quarter we'd ever had before that. So really good usage patterns are continuing. Um, we think that uh, is a great um, lens into what the renewals might look like as we come into them in the middle of next year and later part of next year. Lots of usage and lots of value in the platform um, will continue to uh, drive better engagements going forward, higher retention rates, all the goodness that comes from that. Maybe a second metric I'd give you as well is we had an incredible number of skill IQs created in the second quarter. While we didn't surpass what we achieved in the second quarter with skill IQs, it was our the third quarter was our second highest quarter ever of creation of skill IQs. So um, really good strength across the platform and the view time on our content. And your next question comes from the line of Terry Tillman from Truist. Your line is open. Hey, guys. This is uh, David Unger filling in for Terry Tillman tonight. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. A uh, couple straightforward ones from me, just in the SI world. So is there any uh, notable engagement that you're seeing with the existing SIs that are performing above general expectations? Maybe we could just start there. Um, with the existing SIs, you know, we're, like I mentioned in one of the prior questions, we're partnering on several large enterprise accounts. Uh, these are, these are million plus ACV accounts for us as a business and, and, and they charge separately for their services as well. Um, and, you know, nothing has, has, I would say, you know, we're, we're sort of in, in a good steady motion with that right now. And we're in the in the talks to deepen those relationships to build to so we can bring each other more deals in the future. And that's where the current discussions currently sit. Got it. Um, so the, the just shifting gears a little bit, the uh, the big deal you did um, last quarter, the seven figure deal, flow deal, has that enabled you to increase engagement with uh, some of those larger customers that you're that you're working with? Um, yes, it has allowed us to increase uh, engagement. Um, by engagement, I assume you're meaning engagement of all of our products, both skills and flow. Um, unless you want to clarify for me what you mean, am I am I missing the mark on that question? No, I mean I, I was just you, you had a you had a big deal last quarter with with flow, and it was an existing yeah. skills uh, mm -hmm. customer. So I just I'm curious if that's kind of um, gotten people's attention and gotten them excited in your conversations, broadly speaking. Absolutely, and that, that okay, yeah, that that's helpful. Thank you. It, it absolutely has, and in that particular case, that was a a multi-product account. So we brought we cross-held from skills into flow in in, in this very large uh, bank. And, um, and that has driven our relationship with that account much deeper. We're now further into the technology and engineering organization. And we're uh, developing relationships, expanding that sphere of influence in a very significant way. It's also driving deeper engagement across all the technologists within that account who are using both skills and flow. It's a good example of our hypothesis in action that by having this large base of nearly 18,000, uh, you know, skills customers, 
that we can we can you know bring them flow and further deepen the value proposition we can deliver to all of those technologists to really uplift the entire technology workforce within those companies. Okay, that's great. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. You bet. Thank you. And again, if you would like to ask any questions, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. And your next question comes from the line of Stephen Sheldon from William Blair. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, I guess first, can you give an update on the rough number of B2B users on the platform now and then with the, the increase so far this year and, and with some of those users coming on a lower price point, when you could potentially drive more monetization of those users? Would it potentially come in the renewal process near the end of 1Q or early 2Q in 2021, given the big jump you saw in those quarters? Yeah, great question. Um, so we're up over just over 1.5 million now, Stephen, uh, and that's about 60 to 70 percent more than the users that we had at the end of the third quarter last year. Just to you know, give a comparison there. Um, as far as uh, the time for up, so yeah, renewal time is always the best opportunity to go have either an upsell in C counts or an increase uh, in price after they've seen the value there. Um, you know, it'll probably be a little bit easier with renewals coming up as we move beyond COVID. I'm not sure we're quite there yet in Q1, but certainly where the bulk of our renewals come forward in Q3 and Q4 next year, we would expect to have conversations where the kind of the artificially low price points we gave to our consumers, to our customers during COVID, that they would, those price points would start to rise back up over time. So it's probably more of a second half story, but absolutely we expect to um, bring price points back up. Got it. That's helpful. And then on the Develop Intelligence acquisition, uh, apologies if I missed this, but can you give any detail there on the rough annual revenue and, and profit contribution that we should be expecting from that? Yeah, think of it as, uh, you know, we just bought it, so it's not going to be a huge contribution to the fourth quarter. Next year, it's about $10 million in uh, annual revenue, and it's a, roughly a break-even business. Great. Thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Arvind from Nanny from Piper Sandler. Your line is open. <coughs> Mr. Nanny, your line is now open. You may now ask your question. Oh, I thought, sorry, I wasn't mute. You know, I want to ask about your bookings, bookings number. Uh, you know, how many Verizon uh, type uh, large deals do you, do you have in the in the billings numbers, and uh, you know are you expected to see uh, traction with some of these larger accounts? Uh, yeah, absolutely, Arvind. We, so just to give you a few numbers around it, um, we have uh, I think around 50 to 55 customers now paying us over a million dollars. They mentioned that's up 86 percent year over year, so um, really good improvement there. The average increase um, for our top 25 customers, just to give you another number, from their first purchase to what they're paying us now is on average about 40 times their original purchase. So really great strength in our top customers. We continue to add at the high end and high end of commercial. That is where uh, all the goodness is in our business. So we feel really good about that. And as we go into our pipeline, 
uh, here in the fourth quarter. I won't give you an exact amount, but we have probably about 50% more deals over a million dollars to be had in the fourth quarter than any quarter we've ever had. So not only is the strength, is the overall numbers or the overall weighted pipeline, not only does that look really good, but the, the qualitative aspects of the pipeline as well as far as having more and more large transactions from upsells um, is, uh, is we think, something we think is a really good indicator. Great, great. And, you know, as you work with these um, uh, systems integrators, you know, you, you, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, firms such as like, um, Accenture, are the um, economics or, you know, margins uh, roughly the same or when you work with these SIs, there's some level of revenue sharing that takes place? Yeah, there's, well, there's definitely revenue sharing, but they have a lot more to gain out of these deals than we do. We're coming in with our technology play. They have a whole, you know, massive services element that means they capture more of the revenue. But as far as the economics to us, these these are huge deals. We we talked about how we had a big customer that Verizon helped us with a few couple of quarters ago, where we were bringing in on our own before we teamed up with with Accenture. We were bringing in about a million dollars a year from that customer. As we partnered up with the big SI, we turned that into a $4 million a year transaction. Now, now the SI there is making a lot more as far as revenue, but we quadrupled the amount because of that relationship that we, we brought it with, that was brought to us from the SI. The economics um, down at the bottom line, it's, it's, uh, it's a much more productive transaction and you get massively more opportunity for upsizing your billings and subsequent revenue and the cost is a fair bit lower as well. So those are those are really good transactions for us to continue to team up with the Accentures, the, the PWCs, the Deloitte's, the Fujitsu's, others that we have relationships with. Great. Uh, uh, terrific. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. And your last question comes from the line of Josh Beer from Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for the question. Um, just wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit about the initial interest in Cloud Labs. I think you mentioned uh, different pricing and packaging um, as a separate uh, SKU. How, sh- how do you think about the opportunity? How should we think about um, timing, potential contribution from Cloud Labs? Yeah, um, I'll start, and James can, can add on if you want. Um, thanks for the question, Josh. In general, we have seen strong demand uh, for this type of hands-on learning experience within across all of our SKUs. Um, and so what we've decided to do with this offering is include it in our enterprise SKU for up to a, a certain number of licenses. So we provide a percentage of licenses in the SKU um, as part of the enterprise value proposition with an upsell opportunity to then sell to the entirety of their base. Uh, with all other SKUs, it's a complete add-on, and, and so it's priced and packaged as a separate uh, capability that can be included on any deal that we sell. And, um, and the initial uh, response has been uh, one of high interest, uh, a lot of desire to, to – to dig in, understand it. Obviously, early days. We just announced it a few weeks ago, uh, but we we expect it to be a driver of additional growth. And the partnerships we have with AWS, Azure, and GCP further strengthen, you know, the credibility as well as the reach we have um, in terms of content coverage, certifications, and everything we can deliver in those in those large accounts. 
and even more powerful when you combine in the the develop intelligence services that we can add into that. So um, we're excited about Cloud Labs. We believe it's it's going to be a key driver of future growth in 2021 and 2022, uh, but still still pretty early. James, anything you would add? Uh, just a little bit. I would just say it's it's really a combination. When you look at what gives us a lot of optimism in the statements we make about improving or accelerating our growth in, in the fourth quarter and seeing that acceleration continue uh, throughout 2021, you can whether you want to point to cloud labs or develop intelligence or continued improvements in our growth and net retention that we're now seeing, uh, we believe getting past the worst of COVID. Um, you know, all of that factors into the strength and the positivity that we have going into 2021. So Cloud Labs, yeah, we think it's going to be huge, and uh, it definitely helps drive that improved performance through 2021. Great. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Josh. And your next question comes from the line of Andrew Petrie from BTIG. Your line is open. Mr. Petri, your line is now open. You may now ask your question. Hey, guys. Sorry about that. I was on mute. This is Andrew on from Matt Van Fleet. Um, kind of circling back to the develop intelligence acquisition, and, you know, it sounds like that's driving a lot of confidence for you guys. Um, just thinking more broadly about the M&A strategy moving forward, um, has this changed um, how you might think about consolidating the market given the, the huge opportunity in front of you guys? Any, any color there would be helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Andrew. Um, <clears throat> it hasn't shifted our, our thinking more broadly about how we think about consolidating the broader tech skills landscape. Um, we do, you know, we do look at our strategy and our roadmap and look at the best assets to plug in the capabilities that will bring immediate value to our customers and, and also to our shareholders. And we will continue to do that. Um, this particular move does, is not a signal that we will be investing, you know, more of those dollars in, in more of human-based services. That, that's not what you should read into this. We will be buying other digital assets that further complement our strategic focus for the large enterprise accounts we serve. Um, you know, but this was a very important piece of the puzzle for us to be able to maximize uh, the opportunity in front of us right now with the COVID impact, the shifting trends, to put ourselves in a better position to provide that holistic solution. Um, and we believe we have the foundation for that uh, with this acquisition in place. And uh, and you'll see us in the future make, you know, uh, the types of acquisitions we do in the future will, will be uh, – you know, more consistent with some of the things we've done in the past, I would say. Great. Thank you. You bet. And I'm showing no further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the conference back to Mr. Aaron Connard for closing remarks. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for all of your questions and for joining us today. We look forward to speaking with all of you again next quarter. Be well and stay safe. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.